Welcome to the show. My name is James Nielsen Watt, and in this show, we interview interesting, inspiring, and successful people so you can learn the secrets to success and can play the game of life, business, health, and happiness better. And the philosophy we take here is if I'm leveling up my game, you get to level up yours as well. So get ready to listen to some inspiring people who have figured out how to have success in all areas of life, health, happiness, wealth, business. We're gonna be interviewing them in this show so that you can learn the secrets to success that they share with practical advice that you can take and use today. So if you enjoy the show, please subscribe, please leave us a review, and please share it with your friends because if I can help you and you can help others, then we can help more people together and we can all level up our game together. My guest today is a career expert and national radio host of the Ken Coleman Show, Mr. Ken Coleman. As America's career coach, Ken helps callers discover what they do best so they can work, uh, do the work that they love and produce the results that matter most to them. Since 2014, Ken has served at Ramsey Solutions and helped thousands discover what it is that they were created to do and how to land their dream job. He's also the author of One Question, Life-Changing Answers from Today's Leading Voices. At Ramsey Solutions, he hosts the Ken Coleman Show, a nationally syndicated radio show, part of the Ramsey Network that is in more than 35 cities across the US every weekday. He's also appeared on shows like Fox and Friends, Yahoo Finance, and The Rachel Ray Show. He's the contributing writer for theladders.com and speaks to large audiences across the country on topics like personal development, career, and leadership. Welcome to the show, Ken. Super excited to have you on, my friend. Well, excited to be with you. Can you give us a bit of uh, your backstory? I know that you're doing some interesting things now, but that kind of always been been the way. How did you get to where you are now? Well, uh, the short version of that long, windy story is uh, I felt as a high schooler that I was going to have a long future in politics, public office, work in the system a little bit, and then run for office at some point and you know, serve the public through uh, public policy. And uh, so I went on that path and had some success and was uh, in my mid-20s on the path and began to get a bit disenfranchised with the system. Uh, You know, you get close enough to it, you get in it, and you got all these ideal values and you got ideal expectations and ideal outcomes and all these things and and they don't come true and and it becomes very disheartening and that's what happened to me and so i begin to question whether politics was was the path uh i was in the private sector working in business kind of building that resume to potentially run for office one day anyway so I kind of just went through the motions and I just didn't feel like it was the place I was supposed to go, but I didn't have total clarity and I had kids and babies and all this kind of stuff. And I, I just wasn't dealing with it. And it got to the point where I realized, you know, so time goes on and I'm in my early thirties and I, I know for a fact it's not politics. And so now I'm a bit more urgent about it and trying to figure out if it's not politics, what is it? Because I've been on this path you know, very clear path, very clear goals for a long time. And then all of a sudden for that to, the, the conclusion to come to you so clearly that this is not it. That's a very, very uh, disheartening season of life. And so it's been about two years wrestling with it and figured out that, you know, it's broadcasting. But the problem with that is I don't have any background in it, no experience, no training, nothing. And how am I going to do that? and take care of my wife and three babies. Like how, like, how does that even happen? Is it too late? Am I delusional? What's going on? Am I having an early midlife crisis? And uh, so the process of self-discovery led me to broadcasting and then ultimately to realize that it wasn't sports broadcasting, but it was to broadcast over the airwaves, television, radio, of course, podcast to help people go through the process that I learned for myself, which is how do you figure out the answer to that question? What should I do with my life? Are there multiple answers? How do you find the answers? And then once you find the answers, you know, what did I learn? What was the process for 
stepping into something that I wasn't qualified for and working my way through it. So that's how I got where I am today because that's what ultimately really fires me up, gives me the juice. I'm a teacher at my core, a coach, if you will. And I love coaching adults on this all important subject of purpose. And uh, it's a scary thing for a lot of people. Well, we spend so much of our lives doing our, our, you know, quote unquote work. And most of us are unconscious in it, not enjoying it, being dragged down by it, hoping to escape in retirement. The idea of of retirement for me is foreign, uh, not just because I enjoy what I do, but also I from early have, have planned to not wait to escape when I'm what's, I think it's 65 in New Zealand now. Can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, Because I feel like some of us even find it difficult to recognize that, Hey, we're not in the right thing and even conscious enough to consider looking outside the box. Yeah, Yeah. I think you're right. And the reason is uh, to, to kind of finish that thought and then answer your question. The reason that we're so unconscious of, what the possibilities could be is because we've not been taught that work is anything more than just a utilitarian function that creates a paycheck. Like if I went around the streets of New Zealand or any country and a camera with you and I walked up to people and I said, I'm going to hit you with a phrase. I want you to tell me what you think. And I said, you were created to work. And I just put a microphone in front of them. They would be like, what? A lot of, Really interesting responses. But if I went up to all those same people and I said, I want you to respond to this phrase. And I said, you were created to contribute to this world to make it a better place. I would suggest to you the responses would be more uniformed and, and, and largely in agreement with that state. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? All I did was change about one word created to work what what's wrong with you created to contribute oh yeah man and that's the problem is that the average person sees work as nothing more than something they have to do to get a paycheck to be able to live as opposed to seeing work as something that i get to do something that I was created to do to not only provide for myself or my family, but to contribute to the lives of others, to get enjoyment out of it. And so that's, that's what's going on, is that there is a worldview of work that, based on environment and experience, leads most people to believe in that, you know, well, uh, let me just get the best job possible. It's got really good pay and benefits and, you know, really enjoy myself at nights and weekends, you know, and, and, and the idea of doing something on purpose in their work, it's very foreign to people. And so it's not top of mind. It's not something they think about because we're not teaching this. I know in America, we're not teaching this in our education system, but here's, what's interesting. You don't have to, I, I can't speak for New Zealanders, right? But I can tell you this, nobody has to teach an American how to ask the question, why am I here? What should I do with my life? Nobody has to teach us that. And I think it's true. I'm just, I'm having a little bit of fun. That's not an American idea. The idea is that what is inside of us humans that we all at some point go, what should I do with my life? We don't have to teach a toddler to say no or to steal a toy from another kid either. So that's in us. And so is this wondering And that wonder comes from a place of purpose. We long to know what our contribution is. And I'm trying to turn as many people on to the idea that um, there is purpose, not just in your relational life, but your professional life. I I had Cameron Harold on the show recently, uh, who scaled 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And similar concepts came up around the ideas of contribution And when we're talking about employees, for example, those that are there to do work don't do very well. Those who are there and they're part of a mission 
they're contributing, they take ownership and they do very well. And so we were discussing how do we hire for that and train for that, et cetera, et cetera. And he was talking about start with vision. The reason I'm bringing this up is as I feel like there's great overlap with this one from the em- employer, like me, you're hiring people, you know, standpoint and the other from the actual person of, well, how do I feel like I'm creating contribution? Cause that's where I, like we said, people get the juice. How do we f- maybe find it in ourselves? Do we, do we try and get hyped up and motivated? Do we just start questioning? What's your advice there? Well, we look inward. So the answer to this is all introspection. It's three indicators, talent, passion, mission. So think of these indicators as big giant clues. Maybe think of them as gauges on your car dashboard, right? You look at your dash and you get your key, you get your fuel, your oil, whatever. So everybody comes into this world with talent. Raw, yes, but it can be honed into skill. Nobody disputes that. Nobody can dispute that. Everybody's got something that they do well. May not. We're not talking about measuring against anybody else. We're talking about it comes easy for us. We do it well. People compliment us for these talents. So talents are tools. When we hone the raw talent into, tool, into skills, they go from being a screwdriver to a power drill, right? And that's what we use to do work. Passion is the second indicator, and that's work we love. So there's all kinds of work. There's work that I can't stand to do. Conversely, there is work that I really love to do. I get excited thinking about the work. Uh, When I'm in the middle of the work, time seems to stand still. Uh, That's passion. I love the work itself. I love speaking. I love writing. I love coaching. I just love it. Uh, I can be exhausted. Do five hours of broadcast and walk out in the hall. Somebody that's uh, just watched the show and they catch me and I'm brain dead and they ask me for advice. There's, I don't have to summon any willpower. I just love it. And so no matter how I feel or what's going on in my life, I am turned on, got the juice, the light is on the flame is firing when I'm doing that kind of work. All right. So that's passion. The final indicator is mission. So mission speaks to motivation. So what are the results that I care deeply about? So talent's what I do best. Think of those as the tools. Passion is the work I love, the function, the task, the role. But mission speaks to the results that I want to create. So if all work produces results, what are the results that fire me up? Give you an example. I had somebody call the Ken Coleman show the other day. He said, hey, Ken, he said, "Uh, listen, man, I just need a little bit of help because I I know what I'm good at. I know what I love to do because I just don't, because I really love selling things and and connecting with customers and getting them solutions. He goes, but I'm selling medical devices. And he goes, nothing wrong with medical devices, but I don't want to sell medical devices. He goes, do you think something's wrong with me? I go, no, nothing's wrong with you. It's perfect. What we're going to figure out is what do you want to sell? What product or service fires you up? You care deeply about it because you know the result attached to that. So that's the idea. So now watch what happens. Talent, passion, and mission, all separate. They don't do much for you. But when they align, I use what I do best, talent, to do work I love, passion, to produce results that matter to me, mission. I'm on purpose. I'm in my sweet spot. And they align and ultimately they kind of turn into an arrow and they just point us to the world at work and we can see multiple jobs, career paths, even multiple dream jobs. Because remember, the dream job is ultimately summed up by saying, I use what I do best to do work I love to produce results that matter to me. I mean, imagine getting up every day going, I'm getting ready to go use what I do best to do work I love to produce results that matter to me. That's as tight as it gets. And to be honest with you, no, I've never heard anybody define purpose that way because I think purpose is this mythical kind of murky, whatever. And I'm telling you, it's that simple. So when you look inward and you do the self-discovery, because you'll notice, by the way, that talent, right? We've got the hard skills, but then we have the people skill side of that. 
So that's just who we are. But then passion and mission comes down to the heart. So that's what I mean by we look at ourselves for the answers. The jobs, the career paths, all that stuff, we can discover that. We can see that once we know what we're looking for. I've uh, never heard it more clearly defined than that. And as I'm writing it down, it just makes so much sense. Like I'm, I'm buying my kids some Lego for Christmas. And it, it, when you're looking at building it, you're looking at the formula and then getting the right pieces and sticking them together. And when I'm looking at this, it's, it makes complete sense. So the, the question I have for you is, what if we have had that? Because a lot of my audience uh, are health professionals running practices and they, they, they had this mission, they have this passion, they have this talent, they like it. And then they start to, it starts to wane or they start to lose the, lose the juice, as you said. So what happens when we once had it, but it seems to slip? And is that an indicator that we should be pivoting or is that an indicator that we need to be doing something different to get it back? Sometimes it's a pivot and sometimes it's a reset, you know, kind of a, okay, what's going on? I'll give you an example. So in fact, I took a call today on the show that was exactly this lady called in and she said, uh, Ken, for 18 years, I've been in my dream job, but I've lost the passion for it. My heart's changed, uh, but I don't know where I would go. So I immediately began to ask her, I said, what changed? What specifically has changed? She said, oh, well, you know, I chose my words, probably not the right way. What really happened is my heart has been broken by the environment of it. So great, tell me more. So she goes on to explain she's in this government agency and she is trying to rehabilitate men and women that have been in prison. And she said, yes, she's been disappointed by some of the people that she's counseled, uh, some of the prisoners and people like that who have not done the right thing and they've blown it. Now they're back in. She's been obviously uh, emboldened and, and, and enlivened by people who've done what she's helped them do and they've made it, they've moved on and they've been successful in returning to society. She said, it's not that. She goes, because I love the one-on-one interaction with the people, whether they get it or not. She goes, it's, it's the system which doesn't allow me to truly help people the way that I believe I can help. And when she said that, we finally figured out what was going on. So she thought she had lost her passion for that kind of work. She hadn't. She was dealing with tremendous frustration and buildup. So her heart's been covered up by all this frustration And she's questioning changing everything. In her case, I don't think she needed to change um, the type of work. She just needs to change the location. So, for instance, instead of this government criminal justice agency, maybe she's moving over here to a nonprofit, right? Uh, Or instead of helping criminals here, she's helping people overcome substance abuse in a private setting where there are less limitations and she can throw herself at those folks and help them, whatever it is. So the point is sometimes, sometimes we are just feeling burned out because we're overwhelmed and we said yes to too much or we're not taking care of ourselves and we need to make some changes in our, in our boundaries and in our rhythms and our health. And then that, that takes care of the issue. Sometimes it's like that lady that I just described where they're extenuating circumstances that she cannot control that has robbed the joy out of the works, taken the joy away. So she needs to change locations. And I'm sorry, it's not location. She changes locations, could be a totally different industry, but it's the same type of work. That's what I mean. So, you know, it's like you don't have to change your the, the work you love, but you have to change the environment in which you are doing it. Mm. that's usually what's going on when, when somebody says what you just asked, I've lost the juice. I don't have passion anymore. Well, that's true, but you have to determine what's causing it. And I can tell you that um, something's covered up the heart from feeling what it used to feel. And once we take care of that, then the passion is, it's just fired back up. And, and that's really what's going on. If I, if I put my hand on my heart right now, 
I just have one shirt on. And if I put my hand on my heart right here and I'm quiet, I can feel my heart. But if you give me six or seven heavy coats or heavy blankets and I put them on my chest and then I take my hand and I press as hard as I can, I won't feel my heart, but I know my heart's there. I know it's working because I'm talking to you. That's what's going on. Extenuating circumstances or self-made circumstances are covering up our heart. And it becomes very confusing. We think, oh, the, the answer is eject. When sometimes that's not the answer. That's what stress does, right? Is it creates a dampening uh, sometimes of, of the actual feelings, the actual things that are going on, you know, whether it's about your spouse, your job, your kids, yourself. Uh, and when we peel the layers back and get clarity on what's actually going on, we can remember, hey, the still feels good. There's just mm-hmm. some stuff. And so maybe, like you said, location, the perspective, something needs to shift with it because it's not the thing, it's everything else. So yeah, you don't, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to circle back to, to something we talked about before uh, with how we, how we perceive these things, how we, how we make decisions around our work. Uh, we talked about, you know, we created to work, we created to contribute. And I've always, I don't know where I heard it, and I, I feel like it's true, but I feel like I haven't researched enough to know. But there was this idea that the schooling system was developed to develop us into factory workers. The bell goes off at a certain time for lunchtime. You raise your hand to go to the bathroom. We start here. We finish there. And it's con- conditioning us in an old way of being. And now we're in a new environment with new opportunities, but we're still conditioning our kids that way. How, how much... Have you heard that, first of all? Would you subscribe to that? And how much do you think how we go through school influences what we think is possible and how we should do our work? Because, for example, I'm an entrepreneurial and I didn't do well at school in terms of report cards. I got great grades because I'm intelligent, but it was always James could work harder, James doesn't concentrate, James disrupts. And it's because the environment wasn't fitting to my talents, etc. Can you speak a bit to this? Oh, I love this. So, yeah, there was nothing wrong with James. It's that you were forcing James, who's a boy, number one, uh, a young boy, number two, um, and he's a human, number three. And you take all those and smash them together, and that person is not designed to be in a classroom for six hours a day. Part of it is the way that James is wired, the way he thinks. He's interested in solving problems, but it's not the kind of problems you got in this textbook right here. And so if we found problems that you were excited about solving as a kid, none of those comments would have been made about you. So instead of teaching book knowledge, I think we ought to be teaching kids how to think, how to critically solve problems, how to explore. And I'm going to speak to the United States right now because that's, that's, that's all I can speak to. The number one problem with the United States education system is that we are teaching kids how to be test takers, not pathfinders. Now, I'm just going to let that sink in. That's all we do. We are unintentionally beating the curiosity out of our kids in the United States. Because curiosity is not fueled when you teach a kid how to memorize. There's no curiosity being engaged when you memorize. It's mind-numbing. It's robotic. It's not human. We're not not made to memorize. We just aren't. We were made to explore and to create. Uh, And there's not much difference, by the way, between exploring and create. It really is if you think about it. And so my take on this is, is that we are conditioning kids, first and foremost, to not use their curiosity. We are conditioning kids to... uh, become test takers, where all of the pressure in life is about, do I pass the test, do I pass the test, do I pass the test? By the time they reach the ninth grade, this is in the United States, all of this cultural pressure is, okay, your grades count now. It's all going on your transcripts. So you get in a good college and you got to get in a good college, you get a good degree so you can have a good life. This is essentially what's being said. 
And it's the biggest bunch of crap in the world. Because what it does is it creates a human being who then goes, okay, my total reason for being and my total focus is to get a safe job with good benefits and 401k options. And the way I'm going to get that is by conforming to the system and doing my best to memorize, 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 and regurgitate a bunch of stuff that I'm never going to use and go to a college I can't afford, take out a loan to pay for something I can't afford. That's what's going on. And so what's happening is we have people that are wanderers and we are systemizing the creation of wanderers. They wander from this job to this job, from this major to this major. Well, what did I just fell into this job, fill this job. And we are beating out of them what they are made to be, which is wanderers. You do not teach a toddler to ask questions. They just ask hundreds of questions a day. They're not trying to be annoying little idiots. They're trying to get to the bottom of things. And yet, by the time we're in eighth grade, this is American data by the University of Michigan, that the average American is asking two to three questions a day. That's it. True questions, not, hey, mom, what time's dinner? Okay, so that's a problem. And that speaks to what you're asking. And so, so then we see work as nothing more than, oh, it's just something I'm supposed to do, not something I'm supposed to love. It's something I'm supposed to do, not a contribution I'm supposed to make. Very different way of looking at things. I have two boys, a 10-month-old and a almost three-year-old. And like you said, you don't have to teach them uh, how to ask questions, but you do have to encourage them to continue to because it's very easy to squash uh, their dreams. It's very easy to, to, to teach them how to stop thinking, stop being annoying, uh, just sit and wait. And uh, I find it very interesting when, and I was reading some research on this, if you give a child a toy and you show it how it works, you show the child how the toy works and what it's supposed to do, that's all they'll do with it. They, they will not invent new things because that's how it operates. And if you give a child a toy and say, here you go, they'll figure out what to do with it. My my three-year-old, I'll call him three, we didn't have any toys. We forgot them, his cars. He loves cars. So uh, our nanny, uh, I told her to draw some cars on a piece of paper and cut them out. And she looked at me like I was crazy. I said, watch this. We cut out pieces of paper with pen-drawn cars and he was pushing them around and then they were talking to each other and they were zooming and crashing and flying. And then he tore them up into little pieces and played with it and and she was surprised. And I said, because we're always encouraging him to figure out what he wants to do with it, not show him what to do, how to do it, when to do it, because it crushes curiosity. And we fall, like you said, into this default of just waiting for the instruction, asking three questions, which is terrifying for kids. If, in my opinion, they're asking three questions. They, you know what I mean? Like when you're constantly asking questions, I feel like society ends up the way that it is because we don't ask enough questions, but I digress. So yeah. when, when I'm looking at this, uh, I'm, I'm feeling like when we look at the, the, the job market, universities, et cetera, et cetera, and, and I've had my own levels of success, we tend to elevate in comparison to others and what we think we should be doing. Then we acquire more liabilities that require us to work harder to maintain the lifestyle. And so now we have to work more and so you end up with people climbing ladders and purchasing more stuff that they're now indebted to to keep working for. And at some point, it all implodes and we say, I'm not happy. I'm reaching here. Do you think there's a correlation with, you know, quote unquote, midlife crisis when there's this compounding of all of it and we get to a point of saying, what the hell am I doing? Because we're maybe being a little bit more woken up. Our kids are getting older, leaving school. We're looking at what am I doing? Why am I doing it? because we've been in this autopilot mode from such a young age? It's exactly what that's. I I love that you ask it because I think that's exactly where the whole concept of a midlife crisis comes from. What it is, is it's a brush with mortality. It's a, it's a, it's kind of a check-in, right? 
So whether that's 35 for some dude or 45 for a woman, who knows? But what's going on there, the crisis is they're searching for themselves, right? You think of the other kind of metaphorical descriptions of that. You know, it's like a guy goes out and buys a sports car. Why? Well, he's, he's trying to feel something again, or he's trying to recapture something. And we call it a midlife crisis. Well, really, that's a, um, it is a wake up to, oh, wow, I'm at a certain age or I've lived this much of my life and something's missing. And I'm going to tell you, there is no doubt in my mind that comes from a place where a person does not sense any professional need or they have broken relationships. I'm just going to tell you, because there's purpose in two major areas of our life, relational and professional. So I'm a husband, I'm a dad, I'm a son, I'm a brother, I'm a nephew, I'm a cousin, I'm a friend, I'm a teammate. That pretty much encompasses all of my relational purpose. That's just what life has given me. Those are my relationship roles, and I have purpose in those. I have a why. I have a a reason to engage in those relationships. Professional purpose if I just show up at work and I do something that I'm good at, but it doesn't fire me up, I don't particularly love it or like it, I'm okay, or I can't stand it, uh, and I have no values connection to the company or to the job or to the results, then I'm going to search for it in other places. And you wake up one day and it all hits you and you go, what, what am I doing with my life? And so that comes from brokenness in relationships or... Uh, a lack of meaning in professional work. And that's where it comes from. There's no question about it. Because again, everybody longs to make a difference in the world. Everybody. Even the sick nuts. Like, I mean, there's some sick freaks out in this world. It's a scary place. But even them and all of their sickness, at some point, they still long for that. Everybody. And that's a pretty wild thing when you think about it. So, Man, I, I have interviews like this and I start thinking about how much work I've got to do, you know, and I know I'm not going to be able to solve this problem, but I'm going to try to help as many people as possible realize that there is tremendous meaning that's waiting for you by just simply creating a positive result through work. Yeah, I like what you said. With Everybody has reasons for why they're doing their things and it's and it comes back to some level of if I've got a belief that I need to blow something up, I, I feel like I'm contributing to the mission, et cetera, et cetera. So there's always a, it's just how you see it. And I think that if we understand that underneath everything, you know, as a uh, closer to home example with, with kids, I think that a lot of parents, we don't look for that or see that in our kids, that their behaviors, their actions, there are, there are feelings behind it. There's needs behind it. And often the, the worst behaving kids are the ones who need the most connection because they're having to escalate to reach out to that. And there's, and as you said, it's, it's kind of coming to me, right? This is feeling of wanting to feel part of and contribute to what's happening. I see it with my toddler. If we are having conversations and he's not part of it and it can make him start to act differently as, he, as he's wanting to contribute to the energy of the room, the conversation, he wants to be a part of it. And I think that when we, my, my wife does a lot of child development stuff. And so and I know I'm mentioning this a lot, but we have these conversations all the time. I feel like it starts then and how we are, how we are approached by the big people around us. And then how we're approached by our colleagues who have also been approached like that as children and accumulates over time to, Either we find ourselves and we 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 become change makers, uh, or we don't, and we internalize, and which then perpetuates the cycle. If somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, you know what, this is making a ton of sense. I'm wanting to find a bit more purpose behind what I'm doing. I know we talked about talent, passion, mission creates that purpose. What would be one thing that you could say that could help somebody just? begin the process like they're just they're overwhelmed they're stressed they're tired 
but I, I feel like there's a little bit of light and I'm wanting to expand it. What would you tell them? Well, <clears throat> what I would tell them is, is to begin to think of the people they most want to help. Because, you know, at the end of this contribution is always a person, whether it's direct or indirect. So, for instance, if you take what I do, okay, so I'm on the radio every day, I speak, I'm on television and write books, all these things. But I work with an amazing team. I, I can't do that on my own. I stand on the shoulders of some amazing people. And so there's a guy that does all the changes to my website and writes the code and develops all the stuff for all the free resources and any paid resource that I have at my website. Well, if that guy starts feeling down about himself, you know, and he starts feeling like, well, what I do doesn't help people. The first thing I'm going to say to him is, dude, you have as much, you have as much impact on the people that I get to help as I do. Because you're the one that's writing the code that makes all this stuff even available. Okay, so quick example to kind of launch into this answer. Any work that is good and honorable is impacting people directly or indirectly. So forget for a moment the direct or indirect result on people and just think about who are the people I want to help. And so you said, Ken, what, what would you tell them? Because when you get this whole purpose thing, you still have to begin to to explore. And so you've got to ask yourself, who are the people that I really want to contribute goodness to? Just think about it. Some of you may be thinking small business owners. Some of you may be thinking women who need makeup or their hair styled or done. You know, some of you may be thinking men and women who struggle with substance abuse. Some of you may be thinking, um, you know, customers who need a website. Doesn't matter. Who are the people that you want to help. Think about it. Let your, let your heart answer that question. It won't be long. It'll come to you. Just keep asking, who are the people that I most want to help? All right. Second question. What's the problem they have? Because you've already done this. So this is just a deeper level question. What's the problem those people have or the desire that they have? Problem or desire. Okay. And then third question, third level deeper. What are the solutions or what is the solution? that I get fired up about providing because I've got people, they've got a problem or a desire and I've got a solution or I'm fired up about a solution or solutions to that problem or desire. That's the exercise. If you want to go from that purpose statement to going, okay, how do I crystallize this and come up with ideas? The ideas come from those three questions. People you want to help, problem you want to solve, solution you want to provide. That could be a small business idea could come to you. You're an entrepreneur. At the end of the day, that's what an entrepreneur does, whether they do it consciously or not. An entrepreneur sees a problem, right? Or they see a person. It's either, it may sometimes at the same time. They go, oh, this person over here struggles with this. That, that's the problem they have. Oh, I think they could solve it this way. I kind of get excited about that. I think I'm going to start a business. I mean, that's entrepreneurialism right there. I mean, that's, that is the heart of the entrepreneur. I see a problem. I see a solution. Uh, and I'm pretty excited about that solution. So those three questions is what I would give to anybody in your audience on that, because that's going to lead you to specific ideas. And then the last piece of that is as you begin to get the ideas, because inevitably you do that exercise, you're going to come up with multiple ideas. And then I get that call all the time. Ken, I got multiple ideas. Which way do I go? Get all the ideas out. Make sure they're in your sweet spot, that combination of talent, passion, and mission. Verify that. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Allows me to do what I do best. Allows me to do work I love. Allows me to produce results that matter. Great. Okay, I still got three here. I got rid of two, but I got three, Ken. What do I do? And I think ultimately you want to spend some time with people that do that kind of work, shadow them, talk to them, get around them, watch it, do research. And as you do that, that's the process of clarifying and verifying. So I get the knowledge, the logical. I can examine all three taste them, smell them, see them. And as I do that, my heart will reveal a clear winner. That's clarify and verify. You always got to listen to the heart. I, I tell callers this all the time. If I could give, you know what, this is, this is a little thing I didn't plan to say it, but I'm going to say, it. if there's anything you hear from me, this whole podcast, you don't listen to anything else I said, hear this. The most difficult and tension filled wrestling match that happens in our lives is the wrestling match between our head and our heart. 
because our head is the logical computer, our brain. Our brain is a logical computer and it's designed to protect us, right? Fight or flight. It's the amygdala in the back of the head. Do your research. You've never heard that before. Okay. You've heard it called the lizard brain. And so that's a, that's an actual mechanism of our brain and logic leads us to fight or flight. And so the brain will just do all kinds of crazy things and play tricks on us because our, because of our thoughts. And so you've got to do your logical research, but as you're doing your logical research, you must be open to listening to your heart because your heart will go. Yes. Yes. This is it. This is the one your brain's going to go. Oh, it takes a lot of time and money. There's a lot of risk. I'll do that. You know, and if we're not careful, we'll listen to that. And there's this wrestling match. And the brain must be told to shut up once it's done its logical research. All right. Anything that that I'm looking at doing, if it's if it's not feeling good, or you know, if I'm if I'm I should say if I'm feeling good about it, but my brain's telling me other things, I often will not listen to my head because I've realized that our brains are not very good at risk assessment. They're just very good at stopping us from doing anything because there's well said. perceived safety in doing nothing. The irony is that half of us will burn to death in a building because we're scared about potentially having bears outside. There's listen, no proof, but you'll stay in the building. Listen, I say this all the time. We as humans would rather be miserable than uncomfortable. Because yeah. the misery, the misery I know... And the misery I can cope with. The uncomfortable? Uh Uh-oh, that's got all kinds of unknowns attached to it. I can't deal with that. And that's exactly what you're talking about. It is striking. It is alarming that we are so comfortable with the miserable. Yeah. But so uncomfortable with the unknown. I guess if if I'm miserable, but I'm coping, the idea of adding in potential risk to make it worse scares most of us into not doing anything and just staying there, which is why there's such a small portion of people who achieve big things or even not even big things, but just like level up uh, because most of us will just hang out in misery. And then we wonder why and we blame and we point and you say, it's easy for you and this and this and it's unfair. And But then we all just oh, in our misery. We rationalize it to death make all kinds of wonderful excuses because they sound like this. Uh, I had a wife and three kids. Had a mortgage. Had to take care of the family. That sounds really noble. Mm. Oh, you, Ken, you are, you, are, you are such a good guy. You said no to your dreams and you're basically just trying to get by and you're just living in a shell of who you really are because you had to keep that one paycheck to take care of your kids and your wife. Good. You are you are a noble man, sir. It's the biggest bunch of crap I've ever heard in my life. Because here's what I'm going to tell you something. When you're not living on purpose, I'm going to speak to dudes here. All right? I'm speaking to men. If you're not living on purpose, you are big time subject to distraction. The kind of distraction that will ruin your personal life. And I'm just going to tell you. I mean, I know that's uncomfortable for some of you. But that's a fact, because when you are on purpose in your professional life, watch how on purpose you are in your personal life and vice versa. Listen, I've had some tremendous success, you know, and I've got stuff going on in my personal life, just like everybody else. And there are times where it's really hard to come in and focus on helping other people when something's going on in my personal life. But it is my purpose in my personal life that keeps me grounded so I can come in and do the job. And then when I get in here, I get focused on the people that I was created to equip and help and I'm blessed to get to talk to every day. And so I get focused on them. And then it just gives me even more juice and more purpose in my, in my personal life. And so I'm just going to put that out there because a lot of the personal destruction we have in our personal lives is a result of no meaning in our professional lives. And we're trying to distract ourselves, medicate ourselves, whatever, um, and, and that creates, that's the distraction. And sometimes we may avoid distraction, but then we bring all that crap home with us and we treat our kids and our wife in a way that we would never dream of treating because we're just so numb and we're so miserable over in this area of our life. So there's, it, it's all connected. Well, you, 
if you're not on purpose, you're not getting this positive feedback, you start to look for variety. You have that, 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 you know, midlife crisis like we talked about, but you know, middle of the day crisis and you distract yourself with stuff that's short term and that's dangerous. I, I agree as, as men, that's, it's very dangerous because we, we will fixate on finding something that gives us a sense of purpose, even if in the moment that can ruin everything. And uh, could be a woman, mm. could be substances, could be financial risk, gambling. I mean, I, the, the stories just go and go and go. And underneath all of that is a desire to medicate something. And uh, it, distractions are dangerous, man. Dangerous. So last question I want to ask you is, what's the most important thing that you ever learned? Oh, I love this question. This is so good. Um, without a doubt, the most important lesson I've ever been taught was taught to me by my father. I'll give you the super fast story. I'm uh, probably seven years of age and I was playing soccer for the first time. And I'm a little guy. I'm just a little guy. I've always been a little. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm like five, eight and a half. So imagine me as a seven-year-old. I look like I was five. All right. Teeny little kid. And I'm playing in a seven to nine-year-old soccer league. So I'm the youngest and the smallest. And this was back in the day in the United States where everybody didn't get equal playing time. Yeah. It was just like they played the best players. Imagine that. And so I wasn't playing, but I had the heart of a lion, the heart of a champion. I love sports. I love to play. Everybody wants to play. Everybody wants to belong. And so I was upset. I'm driving home one day for, from a game, and uh, my dad could tell that I'm down, and uh, he looks in the rearview mirror of the car, and he says, hey, buddy, what's up? And I can't talk, and I'm down. He's going, hey, get your chin up. And I look up, and he sees tears in my eyes. He says, hey, what's going on? And at that point, I burst into tears. I just want to play. You know, something along those lines, I'm sure, choking back the sobs. And I'll never forget what he said. And it's the answer to your question. He said, Look at me, get your chin up, get your chin up, look at me. So I look up. He says, your time will come. Your time will come. Be patient. You're going to get older, you're going to get bigger, and you're going to get better. Don't you quit. Stay with it. Your time is coming. You're going to be a starter, and you're probably going to be a star. Two years later, I led that very same league in scoring and made the all-star select travel team. That message stuck with me throughout my life. And it will stay with me until my dying day, because even now at 47, uh, there are things I long for and things I'm uh, aiming for and things I'm trying to do in this line of work to try to help as many people as possible. I got big visions, big dreams, big goals. And sometimes I get impatient and I have to remind myself of those four powerful words, your time will come. And the message behind those four words is the value. Patience. We think patience is a passive discipline, and it is not. Because the very, you know, the idea of patience is, well, I'm just sitting here waiting. And that's not patience. Patience is getting up every day and picking up the axe and chopping away at that monster tree. Patience is staying with it throughout the day. Patience is getting back up the next day, staying with it throughout the day. Patience is getting up the next day. See, persistence is, is, is what we all kind of romanticize. I, I'm getting up and I'm, I'm going to keep chopping. But it's patience that allows us to honestly to keep persisting. Try persisting without patience. You'll never last in anything you do. It is patience that is the wonder drug. It's the super sauce. I mean, it's everything. And so there is no persistence without the discipline of patience. So patience is as active as persistence is. In fact, it's the fuel. Because you, yeah, you can't sit there. Like you said, you can't just sit there and wait and go, oh, you know, my time will come. What are you doing to, to, to allow your yeah. time to come? Well, nothing. And that's the patient. Yeah. Well, but here's the deal. You are being patient by showing up. Yeah, that's what I mean. You're you, taking actions towards yeah, it. Yeah, you're taking action. Yeah, and you're just going to wait for it. Listen, here's the deal. I'm I'm acting and I am expecting. Mm. In fact, I've never said it that way before. I, I always said waiting, but you just said something that triggered something. You know, patience is not waiting. Patience is expecting. That's really good. Somebody ought to write that down. I've never said that that way before, but that's the difference is that I am 
I am getting up and I'm showing up and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. That's the persistence, but that I am patient to wait for the results. And so waiting just implies that I'm sitting around waiting for the doctor to call my name in the waiting room. But really, you know what it is? Patience is expected. I like that. That's quotable. I'm gonna use I that. think it is. I'm going to use that. I'm going to put that on social tonight. That's really good. Ken, I really appreciate you you coming on the show. I've had a lot of fun. Uh, where can our audience connect with you? Check out your, your books and, and all your work. Well, the website is kencoleman.com, C-O-L-E-M-A-N.com. Very simple, kencoleman.com. The book is From Paycheck to Purpose. We also have an assessment, the Get Clear Career Assessment, which will, in 20 minutes, uh, walk people through the questions they need to answer to be able to fill in that purpose statement. What are your top talents? What are your top passions? What's your primary mission? in your work. It's going to give you tremendous clarity. You can get those for a bundle at kencoleman.com. I think it's only 40 bucks for the new best-selling book and that bundle. And there's all kinds of free resources there as well. And then uh, if they want to engage with us on the, on the worldwide web uh, and all the different ways to be a part of the Ken Coleman show, I actually have taken callers many times from New Zealand uh, on the Ken Coleman show because uh, of the nature of this world being very flat these days. So if I can cheer you on, feel free to call the Ken Coleman show. You won't be the first. I appreciate you so much. Um, there's a lot that I've learned and uh, go and go and make that quote post so I can share it. Uh, before <laughs> I make, that's great. I'm going to, I, that's good, man. It's really good. You brought it out of me. I'm going to make sure to, to have everything in the show notes. I want people to go and check this out because I know that a lot of my listeners, you know, they're in practice that they're, they're serving their clients, but we all have times where we're not feeling like we're on purpose and, and regaining some of that is super important, I think, for, for our own health, our families, not just business and, and achieving, but, but living. So thank you so much, Ken, for coming on. I appreciate you it. Appreciate you, man. Keep going. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Everything shared will be in the description of the episode so you can go and grab that. Now, if you enjoyed the show and you want to listen to more, please subscribe because every week we're releasing new episodes with inspiring people, successful people, so you can level up your game. So subscribe and also leave us a review. We'd love to hear feedback about the show and your thoughts and opinions there as well. Now, if you want to have more success, whether it's in your life, whether it's in your business, we run live trainings every single week where you can get access to me to coach you through everything from health, wealth, success, business, we're doing topics on all things that you need to live a better, more inspired and successful life. Live trainings every single week. Just visit jamesnielsenwatt.com forward slash live and you can get access to that now. There's also a ton of resources that you get for just listening to the show. All of that will be in the description. So if you are watching this on YouTube, check the description. If you're listening to this episode, check the description. We've got a load of resources there for you to have more success in your life, whether it's relationships, investing, or in business. I'll see you on the next episode. And as always, subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends because there's somebody else that needs to be hearing this, and maybe you're their opportunity to help them level up their game.